Welcome to Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? with your host, Jeff Stein. This program really does uncover the sometime myth that all are innocent until proven guilty. The truth is that many innocent people are found guilty of a crime that they did not commit. We discuss the judicial system, its flaws, and where it could be made better. Now, here is Jeff Stein. Good morning, and welcome to Episode 6 of Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? Thank you for listening to this episode. Today is myself and Tina Blanchett, who is not only my better half, but also the Director of Operations for ELPS, Private Detective Agency. We will take the next hour to review some past and current cases, give some teasers about some future episodes, and answer questions that our listeners have been asking over the past two weeks that we have not uh, had an opportunity to answer yet. So they're, they're starting to multiply and we want to get those answered. Good morning, Tina. Welcome to the show. How are you today? Good morning, Jeff. I'm great. How are you? I am good. Thank you. Thanks for joining. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Listeners, keep in mind that this is a live show. Feel free to call or email questions or topics that you would like to discuss or hear discussed on our show today or in the future. Uh, we have previously been discussing um, some on some of our episodes that there obviously are many wrongful arrests and convictions in the United States. And I, I know I mentioned I want to break down the numbers a little bit more. There are over 2 million people in jail or prison in the United States. Those 2 million are... are Two million that have been convicted of a crime. That doesn't mean people who were not convicted, who are charged with a crime, waiting a trial. And when they're waiting a trial, that could be anywhere from a week, two weeks, two years, three years, four years. It can really drag out. So um, there, there is no scientific formula that can be applied to how many are innocent, but it's believed to be anywhere from 2% to as much as 10%. So even on the low end, that equates to 40,000 people, or on the high end, it could be as many as 200,000 innocent men and women who have been wrongfully convicted. Think about those numbers, anywhere from 40,000 to 200,000. And like I said, that doesn't include those who are charged with a crime, but not convicted or, or not found guilty as of yet they're awaiting trial. There's just, uh, to me, those numbers are mind-blowing, and, and obviously they could be more, they could be less, but it's somewhere between 40,000 and 200,000, and I think many experts out there would agree on that. There are a lot of different things that lead to wrongful convictions. We've been talking about them, and they obviously include false or coerced statements, ineffective assistance of counsel, lackadaisical police work, prosecutorial misconduct false witnesses, jailhouse snitches, deceitful witnesses, and even dishonest expert witnesses. For these very reasons, those who provide defense really must must focus on these things and do a good job conducting their own investigation, obviously, instead of relying on the investigations conducted by their prosecutorial team. So, we like to try to address these um, issues on the show and, and how they can be fixed and why they need to be fixed. And, and I think the, the answer to why is because there's anywhere from 40,000 to 200,000 people who are innocent in prison. And when you think and about that, Jeff, go ahead. Thank can, you. Can I just interject for a yep. second? 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on the flip side of that is, you know, the fact that there are, you know, 40,000 to 200,000 innocent men and women who have been wrongly convicted. On the other side of that means that there's 40,000 to 200,000 criminals still walking our streets um, that, you know, justice needs to be served on them. So to me, that's just as important um, when you think about it, all these sort of criminals are still walking around um, and, and they need to be convicted for these crimes and, and charged and convicted for these crimes too. You are it's, it's absolutely street. Yep. No, thank you, Tina. That that's great. And I, you're absolutely right. And, and not only does that mean that there's, you know, 40,000 to 200,000 guilty people walking around, they're probably still committing crimes, right? A leopard doesn't change its spots exactly. that easily. So, you know, if they got away with one murder, maybe they're doing two, three, four, or, you know, is it drugs or rape, whatever it is that they're, you know, that they got away with, they're out there still committing those crimes. And then a whole nother um, group of people that we can't forget about is the family of the victims who really think that they're, that justice was served, but it, it may not have been. And then the family of the wrongfully convicted, they lose, I mean, they, they lose their loved ones. They, they, they may have children that they never get to see grow up. I mean, the list goes on. Moms and dads who, you know, um, die before their kids get out of jail and never, never get a chance to, you know, enjoy family events and outings and stuff with these wrongfully convicted people. So it affects hundreds and hundreds of, of thousands of people and their families and whatnot. It's, it's just something that we need to do our best to try to fix and right the wrongs. Yes, agreed. If for our listeners, if if you haven't listened to any of the previous podcasts, please go back and listen. You can download them. You can listen when you're driving on the beach. Um, If you're flying, going on vacation on a business trip, you want to tune out your kids in their cars. um, It's a great time to download and listen to the podcast and you can get caught up on on some of the people because we've had wrongfully convicted. We've had Jeffrey Walker, who was um, one of the uh, former Philadelphia police officers who was convicted of corruption. Uh, We had an attorney uh, who specializes in in uh, post-conviction relief acts and and civil and criminal defense cases. So we've had a, a pretty good mix. There's a lot of good episodes to listen to. Having uh, or or the, I specialize in criminal defense, and I understand that not all of my clients are innocent. In fact, many are not. But through you know really good old detective work, we we do our best to uncover every stone, searching for the facts. And what the facts identify is what the facts identify. We don't try to get somebody who's in it or who's guilty out of jail. We want to get the wrongfully convicted and people who are wrongfully accused. So let's continue talking about some cases. And I know we we're talking about some some previous homicide cases and, um, and an, another girl who was extradited from Arizona back to Pennsylvania on a, on a bad check for $1,500 whose case is still pending. And we talked about that last episode and I look forward to having her uh, as a guest on the show in, in the future. There was a, another murder case back in March of 2016 where uh, my client was accused of murder and spent 17 months waiting in in, j- or in jail waiting for his trial. It, <clears throat> I took several statements from from the witnesses who were there, who were on scene, 
and personally told me that my client was not the shooter, and they told me who was. And there was such overwhelming evidence that at the time of the trial, the charges were withdrawn. Think about that, though. He spent 17 months in jail having to wait to find out that the the, the charges were going to be withdrawn because they knew he didn't do it. And I still don't understand why the police didn't talk to all these people. Why is it that they they cut corners? And, and again, I, I've said before, I'm I am pro police. I'm not anti police. It's just some bad apples, or it's it's um, bad casework, uh, or over overloaded casework. It's 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 a small percentage who cut those corners, a very small percentage, but it does happen, and it, it happens enough where we have tens of thousands of people who are in in prison for a crime they didn't commit. Uh, not only that, not only not only is it you know some police work. Sometimes it's the original trial attorney. Sometimes it's it's the court system. Sometimes it's the jurors. Sometimes it's the jailhouse snitches. I mean, it, it, a lot of different reasons, as we mentioned. But in, in this case, that the charges were withdrawn. Then there was a co-defendant in that same case, and that didn't go to trial until 2018. He wasn't he wasn't convicted or or, or he wasn't arrested. Back in 2016, he was arrested later on, but they listed him as a co-defendant, and he sat in jail. Actually, he was on house arrest for a long time, but it, it didn't go to, to trial until 2018, um, after he made bail and, and was on house arrest. At his trial, using the same evidence from the previous one, the defense attorney made a motion for a judgment of acquittal, which was granted by the judge. But again, these two people lost time of out of their lives for crimes that they didn't commit, and in my opinion, were pretty, were easily, um, if you looked at the evidence and you really, I, I, there, it wasn't rocket science. It was just going and, and talking to witnesses and finding out what happened at the time. You know, there was there was a party going on. It was held at a an rest at a, a an establishment. So there was numerous people, there was tents and cookouts, there was a lot of witnesses. And why they were not questioned, I don't know. But if they were, this stuff wouldn't, they wouldn't even have been accused of the crime, and the actual perpetrator would have been. So these are some of the things that we try to address and try to um, overcome and overturn. And and again, I, I don't know why, I don't know... I can't make excuses for what happened and, and why it happened, just the fact that it did happen. And these are just small examples of what happens uh, across the country on a regular basis. Jeff. So, yes. Can I just ask you a, a few, maybe a few questions about that case? Do you, do you recall how many um, witnesses weren't? interviewed or spoken to, you know, when, when you went back and looked, did they just talk to one or two people and those two people pointed the finger at, at you know, the one guy and they just stopped there? You know, were, the, were there five people that weren't, you know, interviewed? Were there 10, you know, how many people or, or do you not know? Do you not recall? No, I, I do recall there. <clears throat> excuse me. There was approximately uh, four or five witnesses that were there that were not um, were not questioned, and then there was um, some other witnesses that were fact witnesses 
for the defendants who were with the defendants, and they were not questioned either. So I, I guess about a total of six people. So the, again, I, I don't know why they weren't questioned. questioned. I mean, do you do you recall who was questioned for this case? Did they just speak to one person and this person gave an account and they just based their entire investigation on that or? They went in there with blinders. They were told some information. Uh, and I, I don't know this for a fact, but my educated guess was that they were looking to make a deal for themselves. And so they dropped a dime on these guys and to get okay. a, a better sentencing for themselves. And that's what happened in that case. Okay. And, and so, and with that case, the, the first person that spent 17 months in jail, the co-defendant that you're talking about in the next case was a co-defendant of his, the yes. two of them were co-defendants in this case. Correct. And, and after they, the charges were withdrawn, they still continued on the co-defendant? Of the first person, yes, they still continued on the on the second person. Again, I can't tell you what was going okay. through their mindset. They put blinders on and didn't dot their I's and cross their T's. Okay, I just wanted to, that's what I was understanding and, and probably what the listeners were understanding too. I just wanted to make sure that there was clarification on that because that's just seems, it seems crazy to me personally, you know, when you have a co-defendant of somebody who's, charge has been withdrawn. They, I personally feel like that should be looked at immediately. Um, but the fact that they didn't is interesting. One would think it makes you scratch your head. And on yeah. that note, we're going to take a, a quick break and we'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com ELPS Private Detective Agency is here to provide you with security and investigative services. Our specialties include criminal defense, surveillance, security consulting, loss prevention investigations, and more. ELPS Private Detective Agency is a dynamic team of professionals with over 30 years of experience. No case is too small, too large, or too difficult. We're licensed, bonded, and insured. Visit ELPSPDA.com on the web or call us at 877-SEE-THAT. ELPS Private Detective Agency. Fighting theft, fraud, and crime, one case at a time. What defines your success? Is it success in your business? Success in your personal life? Is it more money? Is it meaningful relationships? How about your passion? Listen for Taking Care of Business with host David Wallach. David's guests share their challenges and what they did to overcome them. What if you can let your passion for success lead you to your success? Taking Care of Business is broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time and 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
you are listening to Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? To reach Jeff Stein or his guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or you can send an email to jstein at elpspda.com. Now, back to Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? Welcome back. So, moving along, there, there was another case. I know last week we spoke about a, a client who was charged with rape, and after a long trial, he was found not guilty of all charges. Around that same time, there, were, there was another rape case that we were investigating, and it was requested by the Missouri State Public Defender's uh, Office. Um, there was a Missouri State Public Defense investigator who was working on the, on the defense uh, for a man accused of rape in Missouri, but the alleged victim was previously a resident of Pennsylvania, and so we provided the uh, investigative support in Pennsylvania. Uh, for this, for the state of Missouri, and in in March of 2018, he was found not guilty of all charges. So this is just a, another person who was charged with a crime. He he spent about a year and a half uh, in in jail waiting for trial, and then he was found not guilty. Again, these did, things did, can. Did that take Did that rape take place in Pennsylvania? No, it did not. It took place in okay. Missouri. The, the alleged, the alleged rape um, right, took right. place in, in Missouri, and, and that's why he was he was charged in Missouri. But there were several witnesses um, who can speak to her, to the victim about the the victim. Um, there was a lot of information that was needed that showed she had made these claims before about other people. She made these claims for, for different reasons. Um, she, she had her own agenda, so to speak, but there was, there was just work that needed to be done in Pennsylvania in conjunction with what Missouri can find out and working together and providing that to, to the um, public defender's office. They were able to, to put on a good trial and all, all charges um, were not guilties. Okay. Moving along, I, I want to talk about a case that's really intriguing and something we've, um, this office, uh, our office has worked on for four or five years, and it's Zach Whitman. And I, there are certain things I, I want to discuss in detail and certain things I don't, because, and, and the reason why I, I don't want to get involved or, or, or go into too much detail is there's a documentary that's going to come out later, probably the, the end of this summer. Um, years and years and years of, of video of uh, video work being conducted on this case. So I, I don't want to be a spoiler alert about this, but I, I would encourage all of the listeners to Google Zach Whitman, and you'll find a lot of information out there. Uh, but the the reason why I want to just touch base on this, and and I plan on having. Um, I don't know about Zach, but probably um, one of his family members, maybe his mom, maybe his dad, maybe both on this case and uh, or on this podcast at a later date. But there have been several podcasts and news reports about this case over the years. And like I said, including a documentary that has not been released yet. And they all obviously point the finger at Zach 
And yes, um, Zach made a deal, but uh, so he's since been released on on uh, parole. But to give you the, a little background, on October second, nineteen ninety eight, Zach was was home. He was fifteen years old at the time, and he stayed home from school because he didn't feel well that day. His brother Gregory came home from school and was when he came home from school around 3:11 he was brutally attacked as soon as he walked into the house where he was stabbed approximately 104 times and partially his his head was partially decapitated there was two phone calls that were made to the house between 3:11 and 3:18 and on one of those phone calls, Zach answered the phone and, and spoke to a friend of Greg's who was looking for Greg. And he was on the phone for about a minute and a half with this with this girl. And then he hung up. And when he hung up, he heard some noises downstairs. And Zach was um, Zach was more of a an introvert. Greg was more of an um, a fun, athletic, young guy, 13 years old, more of an extrovert. So Zach thought he was downstairs horsing around with, you know, some friends. Zach went downstairs and discovered Greg's body and saw that his neck was, was partially, it was cut open. It was cut off. It was just barely hanging on. And he immediately called 911. So all of this took place from within eight minutes, the attack, this minute and a half phone call and, until the 911 call. And he called 911 and 911 made him lay the body down. And in, in my opinion, when he laid the body down, that's when there was a transfer of blood and whatnot to his shirt. He was then taken by ambulance when, well, when, when the, the paramedics got there, he came out when the first police officer got there, the first police officer did not want to go into the house. He, he opened the door, he saw the body and he was, um, he, he couldn't, he couldn't take it. I guess, you know, it was, it was very, um, scary, sad, horrifying and and review yes and you know tina and i have seen the um the the photos of the crime scene as well as the autopsy photos and when you see a 13 year old dead who was murdered um stabbed so many times and and partially decapitated it's it's difficult to, to handle, even as an investigator. I mean, I, I had tears in my eyes. Um, I know I, I think we both cried, both Tina and I, you know, looking I at these pictures. Yeah. It's, you know, we, we, we have children, we have kids in that same age group, and nobody ever wants to, to learn that their, their child was killed, let alone charged with killing uh, another person. So it was difficult. So the, the first officer, he couldn't, he couldn't take it and stayed outside. And then the, the chief came and he s- went into the house. Um, and like I said, I, I don't want to get into some of the details because it, it's, we'll be on the documentary and 
uh, I was um, Baltine and I have been interviewed and spent a lot of time on film. So, you know, we have some obligations to the documentary crew to not r- reveal certain things and um, go from there. But there were so many things that I don't feel were conducted in, in the right method and manner from a, a from the law enforcement perspective, from a defense perspective as well. I think the um, the original trial attorney didn't do everything that he needed to do to provide a, a defense, a, a, a positive defense, um, or a thorough, I should say, thorough defense for Zach at the time. There was no experts that were called upon for the defense at the time when there should have been. So there was, there was just so many things that, that went awry with this case. Fast forward, Zach was convicted of the murder. He pled not guilty, but he was found guilty. And he was sentenced to life in prison without parole. And that w- was a, a first-degree uh, murder case. So he spent his entire teenage, well, almost his entire teenage uh, under arrest and, and his entire adult life in prison. And extremely tragic for his parents because that day they, they kind of lost two sons, right? One was murdered and one was sent to prison. Zach, uh, or back in 2012, the, the Supreme Court said that it's unconstitutional to sentence juveniles to life in prison without the opportunity for parole. So he was eventually resentenced, and they changed it to third degree, and they, they made a deal. If you say that you did it, you know, we'll change it to third degree, and you'll be eligible for parole in January of 2019. So Zach was released this year. Uh, on those conditions. And there are some things that I can't get into, but I'm, I'm still investigating and we're still working on this case and we'll have more to report about this, but very tragic story. We wanted to really defend Zach and the Whitman family, especially over all the other negative and derogatory comments that have been made in the past about uh, Zach and, and how it was done and how he did it and so forth. So Stan, Stay tuned, you know, in future episodes, and, and we'll get in, into more of it. Um, but this is just just a teaser about the Zach Whitman case, and be on the lookout for the documentary. Tina, any, anything you want to add about this case? Because I know you're you're intimate with this as well. Yeah, I mean, just just a couple things that I want to say, and again, not going into much detail, but for me, I think that part of what's really unfortunate about this case is that you know it took place in a very small community with a police department that I just don't think was really equipped to deal with this type of case. And not only a police department, but even moving through the court system and, and even, you know, the, the attorneys that were involved, I think that they just, they probably, none of them really had much experience with, with a murder trial or a murder case or, or dealing with this um, type of situation. And I think that was really unfortunate because I think that's how a lot of things just went really awry with this case. And, um, you know, it just, to me, even the fact that, you know, he was, you know, convicted of, of first degree murder w- with, with the evidence that was given and with the 
um, with what the prosecution used as, as their explanation as to why he did this. Like, I, it's still hard for me to believe that, you know, he was convicted of first degree murder. Um, and again, with all the information that will come out with this, like how, how a jury really found without a reasonable doubt that Zach was guilty of this is just really unfortunate, I think. Um, and that's sort of all I'll, I'll share from my end. I just, it's a tragedy what, what happened, I think. And, um, you know, hopefully the, the documentary will, will bring to light more of that. And like you said, you know, we're, we're continuing an investigation on this and there'll, there'll be more to, to be heard on this case going forward. Good, good points. And, and one more thing I will add before we take a, a quick break to listen to our sponsors. The, the defense, um, they did file a post-conviction relief act in this case after he was found guilty. And it was approved, which is very difficult um, to move forward to say that, listen, we're going we're gonna to go forward and have a new trial. So the actual tri- trial judge and the actual case said, yeah, you bring up some good points. We're going to retry this. And the district attorney's office appealed that and won the appeal, which is, is to me, very strange and odd. It, it doesn't happen too often. I'm sure there's some attorneys out there and some investigators that have heard of that and, and deal with that. But that, that's not often that that occurs. So it was interesting, you know, when they realized that there were possibly some mistakes and yet the DA's office um, won that appeal. So um, as Tina said, stand by. We'll, uh, we'll get some more information on, on this um, in, in the next few months. And uh, I think you'll be really interested to see, you know, the documentary and um, what we have to say in, in better detail. With that, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. ELPS Private Detective Agency is here to provide you with security and investigative services. Our specialties include criminal defense, surveillance, security consulting, loss prevention investigations, and more. ELPS Private Detective Agency is a dynamic team of professionals with over 30 years of experience. No case is too small, too large, or too difficult. We're licensed, bonded, and insured. Visit ELPSPDA.com on the web or call us at 877-SEE-THAT. ELPS Private Detective Agency. Fighting theft, fraud, and crime, one case at a time. What defines your success? Is it success in your business? Success in your personal life? Is it more money? Is it meaningful relationships? How about your passion? Listen for Taking Care of Business with host David Wallach. David's guests share their challenges and what they did to overcome them. What if you can let your passion for success lead you to your success? Taking Care of Business is broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time and 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
You are listening to Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? To reach Jeff Stein or his guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or you can send an email to jstein at elpspda.com. Now, back to Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? That's the question. Is there really truth and justice for all? So we've really been um, receiving a lot of questions, and we'll take a few minutes to try to answer some of those questions now. Tina, if you don't mind uh, going through a few of them. Sure, no problem. Um, So one question was, uh, what are the determining factors that lead you to choosing to take a case on someone who has been convicted uh, or charged with a crime? For instance, do you take all cases that are presented to you or do you conduct some due diligence regarding the veracity of the client and their story before taking a case on? I will do some uh, some due diligence and review um, the case before I accept it. And I, I want to make sure that it's a good fit for me. It's a good fit for the client that we can work together excuse me, not just with the client, but with the attorney or whoever's representing them. We, we want to make sure that it's a good team because it's it's important to have uh, a team that, that can work together um, to uh, move forward with, with the defense, you know, and if there's going to be conflicts for whatever reason, then then it's better to find somebody else who's better suited. As far as knowing, you know, knowing did they do it or didn't they do it? I, I don't know that, you know, until until we start digging in, or in, in some cases, you know, that the client may say, "Look, they did this, but here's what happened." You know, maybe there's something that the law enforcement didn't do correctly, and uh, maybe it's a Brady violation where they they violated something. Um, and or there was, you know, you, you hear uh, often that the jurors, and and this is why it's important to do some background checks on the jurors because the the jury will will lie sometimes. You know, they'll say, "Have you ever been convicted of a felony or or a crime?" and and they say no, but twelve years ago they were, thirteen years ago they were. Or do you know the defendant? No. Well, it turns out their cousin dated the defendant. You know, and they they hid these these things so um doing a jury selection is important but you know those are some things that really could could um initiate a new trial so may not be that they were necessarily innocent or or wrong of it but you got to follow the law if if the jury you know is is lying well, how could you move forward? Or, you know, if there was a Brady violation or, you know, the, the prosecutor's office, there was prosecutorial misconduct, things of that nature that, you know, they can retry the case and, and get a conviction the right way, not the wrong way. But you don't know this for the most part. You normally don't know this since you until you start investigating. Okay. So then... I guess, you know, one of the other questions that came in was, would you ever take a case in which you knew the individual committed the crime, but there were problems with the manner in which the police 
slash detectives handled the case, you know, not following police policy and procedure. Um, you, you know, the individual committed the crime. Are you still going to take that case? And how do you handle those cases? And so, yeah, I, I answered the previous question kind of ties in a little bit, but yes, because sometimes, yes, I would take that case and, and identify that there was policies and procedures by the law enforcement that weren't followed or practiced. Um, or, you know, like I said, if there was a, a jury issue, I have a current case right now where somebody was convicted of a crime and it was, um, it was a theft case, but it was theft of a firearm. And, and there's some, some interesting and some things that don't make sense as to how the investigation unfolded somewhere along the lines. It seems that somebody, somebody lied about something. And I I don't know if it was the victim, if it was a witness, I don't know if there was a connection there. I I don't know if it was law enforcement. I I don't think it was law enforcement. I, I believe that there was the victim they had a suspicion, a strong suspicion, and, and they were correct on what took place. But somewhere along the line, somebody lied. And so we want to try to do everything we can to find out, you know, how and why and, and report it. I mean, we're not saying that he's innocent or he didn't commit the crime. We're just saying that the victim or a witness or somebody did something wrong. They lied. And if it needs to be retried or charges dropped or vacated or, you know, whatever the case may be. You know, it's just like, um, it's, it's I, I love to use football as an analogy. You know, if, if, if the touchdown was overturned because w- there was a, a holding penalty or there was a violation, then the touchdown gets overturned and it's not a touchdown anymore. And it's, it's similar, like, you know, it's, it's similar, obviously theft and murder is different than, uh, getting a scoring a touchdown or blocking a field goal, but there's cheating. I mean, you know, you hear about it in baseball, you hear about it in football, you know, whether it's, it's steroids or, um, I don't want to upset the new England Patriot fans, but obviously there's deflate gate and there's the, the videoing and there's all kinds of things. So things happen and maybe that game, maybe a game needs to be overturned because, they, they were using pine tar on the baseball bat, you know, which they're not allowed to do. Or, you know, they had pine tar on their fingers when the pitcher was pitching the ball. Different things. It's it's cheating. And if you're going to win the game, you, you got to win fair fair playing field by both sides. And, you know, the, the defense, they shouldn't lie and fabricate any of the information. And just like the prosecution shouldn't. So, yes, we would take those cases and try to identify where the breakdown was and then let the judicial system take it from there and, and try to right the wrong. Okay. So what, what would happen if, you know, you, you have this case where, um, you know, there was some sort of breach in policy and procedures or, you know, some, somebody lied um, and the, the truck, you know, it's going to be thrown out or what charges will be, whatever's going to happen dropped and then this person then comes to you and says, okay, now I want to hire you 
you know that I did this, but I want to hire you to try and get me off of this. Like, how do you respond to something like that when you know that they've done it? I'm trying to, if, if we know that they did it, we're going to report the facts. We're not going to fabricate information. We're going to tell the attorney. We're going to tell them this is what, this is what the facts disclose. This is, you, you turn over a stone and whatever's underneath that stone, that's the answer. We're, we're not looking for any fictitious information. We're not trying to um, in, in manipulate the truth or manipulate the, the facts. A fact is a fact. So we're, we're not going to try to help them get off by doing any of that other than if there was some type of violation or, you know, policy and procedure that law enforcement didn't follow or prosecute, prosecutorial misconduct, um, that would really be the only thing that we would, you know, get involved with. And we're going to report that. And then what the attorney does with that and um, whatever motions they file in front of the judge and what the judge says yay or nay to, then that's the judicial system. Okay. I, I think that answered that question. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, So sort of going back to, you know, you had said you do a little bit of due diligence before you take a case on, um, making sure that it's a good fit and, you know, that you can all work together. Um, Have you ever had a case where, you know, you went into it believing that, you know, there was reason to believe that this person probably was innocent and, you know, you took this case on, but as you unraveled the facts, you came to realize that, this person probably most likely did commit this crime. And, you know, how do you handle that with your client? You know, how do you, how how do you no longer, do you no longer continue work for them? Uh, How does, how does that unfold? And and has that ever happened to you? Great question. And yes, that, that happens frequently. It, It happens often. You know, everybody, anyone who's convicted of a crime you know, if if they're if if they're not if if they really did commit the crime, you know, and they don't want to take ownership, and they're they're doing their time saying I didn't do it, I didn't do it, when they know that they did, and we start investigating and we talk to the our, our witnesses, the witnesses that we identify, or the witnesses that they identify, and a lot of times it's them giving us the names. Oh, go talk to so and so. And we go and talk to them like, yeah, that, that guy did it. You know, he shot him. I saw him. I watched it. And we report that. You know, we, we write a report. We provide it to the attorney. We provide it to the client. Um, you know, whether it's it's a written re- report, a m- uh, memo of the investigation. Um, it's, it's, we report the facts. <laughs> and, you know, usually at that point, I'm like, look, it's, this is a waste of time. This is a waste of money. He, there's no need to really pay us anymore because this is what the facts are producing. If there's something new or different, then by all means share that. So it okay. it does happen, and and you know I, I've I've said this on a, on a few of our podcasts. Everybody, when you walk into a prison, and I, I said there's anywhere from forty thousand to two hundred thousand out of the two million. Well, probably one point five million say they're innocent and <laughs> they're all not innocent. I, I don't want to, I, I don't want to um, try to 
to make it sound like everybody in prison is innocent because they're not. And, and overall, I think we have a pretty good judicial system. And, you know, there's just some some things that need to be fixed, some things that need to be tweaked a little bit. We need to do a better job in, in just a, a lot of different areas. Uh, but overall, I think it, it does its job. You know, it's just when it breaks down, that's why we're here. You know, there's there's checks and balances that should be in, in every line of, of profession. Um, you know, even do, even if you're going for um, surgery, you're having any kind of surgery, open heart surgery or, you know, trying to um, – a knee replacement, a broken bone. You know, a lot of times they say, go to another doctor, get a second opinion. What, is, what does that doctor say? Well, it's the same, you know, in, in a trial when somebody's been convicted, get a second opinion. You know, maybe there is something there that – you know, wasn't found the first time, um, a different attorney, a different investigator, they may see something, you know, through, through, uh, another set of eyes. And, you know, as, as we can be, before we take a, a quick break for our final, um, um, breaks, the, uh, there's lots of shows on the ID channel and discovery channel and CNN and all of them, you know, all these shows, even MTV at one point, they all have TV shows and, you know, they go back and look at wrongfully conviction, wrongful convictions and try to um, find things, cold cases. There's just sometimes another set of eyes. There's just, it may not be that, you know, anyone intentionally tried to put that person in jail, but they just followed what they thought and the jury believed them. And then you find a whole nother set of evidence, especially DNA when, you know, DNA started to really come to fruition and it, it's much better today than it was 15 years ago, 20 years ago. So that um, mm-hmm. continues to change, um, you know, how things are, are looked at and what the facts are and what the facts were. We're going to, Tina, unless you have anything to add to that, we're going to take a real quick break and we'll be back in a minute. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. ELPS Private Detective Agency is here to provide you with security and investigative services. Our specialties include criminal defense, surveillance, security consulting, loss prevention investigations, and more. ELPS Private Detective Agency is a dynamic team of professionals with over 30 years of experience. No case is too small, too large, or too difficult. We're licensed, bonded, and insured. Visit ELPSPDA.com on the web or call us at 877-SEE-THAT. ELPS Private Detective Agency. Fighting theft, fraud, and crime, one case at a time. There are many people who claim to be dog experts, yet they don't really provide a connection between dog owners and their best friend. This is where the BS stops. Listen for Taming the Wild and Your Dog with expert author and nationally recognized dog trainer Brian Bailey. Each show has experts, professional trainers, and veterinarians to give you the right answers. Listen for the safety and well-being of your dog. Listen every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to is there really truth and justice for all to reach jeff stein or his guest today please call in to 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 or you can send an email to jstein at elpspda.com now back to is there really truth and justice for all welcome back Before we get into uh, some more questions, I just want to let the listeners know there's a new magazine that's out that is really an awesome magazine that I think all of our listeners would enjoy reading. It's called Unsolved, Become Part of the Investigation and the Solution magazine. So it's Unsolved magazine. You can Google Unsolved magazine and you'll find the website and the subscription information but the magazine just launched um, this past uh, last month, and it's really about um, different um, cold cases and whatnot that's geared towards citizens versus you know law enforcement or private investigators. And the um, the publishers of this magazine they also produce PI Magazine, which is one of our sponsors. And uh, PI Magazine is the trade magazine for the industry. But I'd encourage everyone to go check out Unsolved Magazine. I enjoy reading it. It's got a lot of uh, informative information and especially uh, things that are of interest to um, to, to the, the regular citizens, normal citizens. So when you get a chance, take a, take a look at that. All right, Tina, if you want to fire away a few more questions, go for it. Sure. Okay. So I know sometimes, Jeff, you're involved in cases right from the beginning, you know, an individual is charged and, you know, you're brought in to investigate right away. But I also know that there are times where you're brought in as an investigator only maybe at the appeals level or the PCRA level. Um, In your opinion, do you feel it is difficult to find an impartial jury for an appeal on a case where someone has already been convicted of a crime? It, it is, it, you know, the PCRA. It's once somebody's been convicted, it's it's not easy to get that overturned or to have a new trial. Um, you need to show that there was new information that wasn't available at the time of the trial, or that there was uh, ineffective counsel uh, during the the initial trial. Those are the the common ways. Um, you need to sometimes really find who the who the suspect was in, in a lot of the cases that we talked about uh, today and, and last week. That's exactly what we did. That's exactly what I did is, you know, be able to prove that not only was my client innocent, but here's the guy who did it. And, and here's why. And here's the, the evidence. So um, to do, uh, to get a PCRA, you, you need to be able to provide that information um, it's it's easier, obviously, at the trial stage, but after it becomes more difficult. And the, the other thing that makes it, in my perspective from an investigator, is that you need information that's going to corroborate whatever you identify. 
So we have a, a, a case from about, <clears throat> we found about, uh, we interviewed somebody, I guess it's been about a year or two ago, uh, who said they had new information about a case, one of my clients. So we take a, we take a statement from him. And in his statement, he admits that he was the murderer. He was the one who shot and killed somebody. And yet, it's still going through the legal system because he's saying he did it. They want, the, they want corroborating information. <laughs> so it's, it's not easy. It really isn't easy. It, it sounds like it should be. You would think to a, a lay person that it is. But, you know, even when somebody confesses to the crime... Now you got to prove what, why did they confess and did they really do it? So sometimes even with sort of overwhelming evidence, I mean, to me, that seems like overwhelming evidence, a, a written confession. Um, even, even with that, sometimes these PCRA and appeals cases are, are an uphill battle, even with that, for those who have that already is, been accused. That is correct. Yep. Okay. All right. Um, next question. Um, what steps do you feel can be taken within a police department to flush out police misconduct? I think when they're an accredited police department and they, they follow all the policies and procedures from all ranks is, is one of the big aspects. I, I think in some cases they need to do a better job on the candidate selection. You know, there's some police departments that, you know, do more thorough background checks on their candidates, you know, including um, psychological exams and, you know, besides the physical fitness and so forth. And um, really just from the very beginning, from that recruiting process all the way up to zero tolerance, you know, lying on the stand, cheating on the stand. And there was an article that came out uh, not too long ago about Philadelphia and how difficult it is in Philadelphia to keep a, a officer who is terminated to keep them from getting their job back because they have their, their police union, their contract is so strong. So sometimes I, I, you almost have to overhaul a whole department. Well, good luck overhauling the entire city of Philadelphia's police department. It's probably never going to happen, <laughs> but hopefully the, the state police can go in there and, and maybe rewrite some policies and procedures and, and give management, you know, some guidance um, because the Pennsylvania state police are an accredited uh, police agency and well-respected throughout, throughout the country. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, sort of piggybacking on that, do you feel that corruption seems to be found or seems to be more prevalent in urban or urban departments over rural departments, or do you think it's sort of across the board? I will, um, we'll, we'll close with this cause we're almost out of time, but I, I think it happens in, in all police departments the only difference in the the inner city police departments is their larger police departments, you know, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 police officers, as opposed to some of the other police departments that may have 10, 20, 30, 40. So, you know, when, when you have a, a bad apple um, in, in a 
in anyone in any police department, um, it's going to cause a problem. But when there's when that starts to expand and you have bigger police departments and, you know, like uh, Jeffrey Walker said, when you take a bite of that apple, you know, it just you, you got that bite. And it, it, in, in Philadelphia, as he stated, it's gone from generation to generation. So I think you just see more of it in the bigger um, cities because of the size of their police department. With that, we are oh, out of time. Okay. I'm sorry, we're out of time. Tina, thanks for joining today. Um, I want to thank everyone. Thank everyone for listening. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please consider giving it a five-star review. Please share it with your friends. Um, You can listen on whatever platform you use to listen, um, rate it on whatever platform as we continue to increase our listener base. We appreciate your positive reviews. Have a great day. We look forward to seeing or talking to you next week. Thank you for listening to Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? We can be heard Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please join host Jeff Stein for another edition of the program next week.